Welcome to Ideas Goes Abroad. We are Marlinda and Camila, two students of the Master Programme International Development Studies at Utrecht University. For our studies, the whole class was spread out over the Global South to conduct field research. From Sudan to Costa Rica, from Vietnam to South Africa. From remote villages and rainforests to metropolises and tourist hotspots. We're here to bring you stories from our fellow students who have done research and lived on the other side of the world. In each episode, we'll learn about their adventures and cherished moments, and how they managed to do their research while dealing with cultural shocks. Hello everyone, this is Marlinde from the future speaking with a short disclaimer. This was our very first episode, recorded back in May, and the recording was an international call between the Netherlands, Italy and Switzerland. We are aware that the sound quality of this specific episode is not perfect, but we didn't want to re-record it and interfere with the authenticity of the story and the guest. We are sure you're going to feel completely immersed in the adventures of Elena. And now back to the podcast. In this episode, we want to bring you the adventure of Elena, an enthusiastic student from Switzerland who flew all the way to Mozambique, in Maputo, to conduct a research about the capabilities of women smallholder farmers in how they can negotiate with foreign investors. Elena, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. How are you feeling? Hello, Cabo Marlinde. I'm really good, thank you. I'm very excited to be on your podcast. So, Elena, could you maybe tell us something about the focus of your research? Uh, yes, sure. So, my focus was on women small-scale farmers in the north of Mozambique who are affected by large-scale agriculture projects. And what I was mostly looking at was their capabilities of changing their situations and negotiating. Okay, that sounds really interesting. Do you have a a specific reason why you chose this topic? Do you have a personal connection to the topic? I would say a bit less to the agriculture part of it, but I was really interested in the gender aspect of it. And I think also more in the cultural and in the location. I was really interested in Mozambique. Right. And of course, uh, the country is a really important part of the research itself, right? The local context. Right. And it was a really nice choice. I really, I was so surprised at how much I loved Mozambique. It's such a beautiful country. And I can also say, um, maybe for future students, it might seem, I don't know, negative to be the only student there, but I also found it a really nice chance to be the only one because that allowed me to get to know locals much better because I guess it's easier when you're one person and not a whole bunch of students. And also, uh, you said uh, that you didn't really know what was your question, like what was your research about before going there. How did you approach the uncertainty when you went there? So, I mean, when we chose the subject, it was a bit unclear what it was all going to be about. But 
also a really good thing about Mozambique is that the network there is actually really nice. It's a women grassroots organization that's called Forum Mulher. And the coordinator of the program, she wrote a proposal herself telling me what she was already focusing on, what the whole project was about and what they wanted to know. Yeah, that sounds really helpful. And from the first weeks on, what was your day like when doing research? How did it evolve during the weeks that you were there? The main part of the research was going to be on the countryside, but I thought that the first month it might be nice to stay in the capital also because the host organization Forum Mulher is in the capital. So I thought probably nice to get to know the country and to get to know the host organization. So I spent my first month in Maputo, which was not really this super tough, hard research, and more of a getting to know everything context. And I mean, the first day I arrived, they already gave me my own desk in, in the office. And I shared my room with, with another member. And sometimes I could also participate in workshops or things they did at Formula. And then actually every afternoon or evening, I went dancing. That was also a super nice part of my everyday life in, in Maputo. And yeah, that way I had super nice evenings as well and contacts after, after the office. What do you think was the most crucial part in getting over the barrier of cultural differences? Well, I think the language helps, but then I think the most important part for me was to find a place where I was not the NGO worker or the intern, but to find an activity that I could do with people where we are on one level. And I mean, in dancing, for example, I'm not very good at it and people there are just incredible and I think it it was really helpful to put myself in a position where I could learn from them and to interact with them in a I don't know in a situation where you don't have your strong European African positions but you can share something together like a dance or music. I can imagine that that is more connecting on a intuitive level right? Yeah definitely. So you told us a lot about dancing. Um, can you tell us a little bit more of how you got into it and how that shaped your experience there in Mozambique? So I'm a very, very super big fan of swing dancing, which is an Afro-American dance. And I knew already before going to Mozambique that they had a local group there who did it. So I had already contacted them. And already the really first, the very first training with them, I have to say in the beginning was very terrifying because they are professional dancers and so crazily good. (laughs) And it's a really, it's a very, it's a crazy setting. They have a huge room and they have their own bands who plays for the dancers with all these local instruments with the timbila and drums and then you just line up and always some of the dancers teach others what they have learned in in different contexts. For example, someone has learned a bit of contemporary dance there, another one has learned this African dance. So it's always uh, a mutual teaching and I felt so blessed that they let me join this. It was a super big chance for me. And well, the swing dancing actually came to Mozambique because I think it's already 10 years ago that a Swedish girl went there. She was also doing her research in Mozambique, like like I was doing. 
and she put up this uh, swing dance group and the time I was there she was also visiting because there was going to be a festival and I felt really super super inspired by this woman and also her way of of communicating and what she told me what was the most important thing for her in Mozambique everything she learned in because she did the research and then she, she stayed for three more years and she told me that if you have to know one thing it's that you're not going there to teach them anything you go there because you have so fucking much to learn from Mozambique from Mozambican people and that's super true and you could really feel that every time she was with the group and they were creating something together and it was such a I don't know, such a mutual thing so about this connection with the locals there could you tell us a bit more about integration with the culture well, what I felt about about Mozambican culture is that they're really, really they're they're really welcoming, uh, which made it super easy to to connect because people were happy. I felt like people were really happy when they could show you something or give you something. So I tried a lot to be interested in what they do. For example, they taught me their local dance, which is called Marabenta, and ev- anywhere I went, uh, I tried to break the ice kind of by doing some marabenta steps and then <laughs> that, sounds that always really helped also because it probably looked kind of ridiculous there is a local language i mean portuguese is the, the official but not the only one there are uh, more than 40 languages and the other local language in the maputa region is called shangana and it was also nice to just pick up some words of shangana and that also helped connecting a little bit I think having a network and showing that you're interested in being with Mozambicans and not only in a bubble helps a lot. And for people who go there in the future, I found it really helpful to live with a Mozambican person. And I mean, even if if you rent an Airbnb or so, I would really recommend to try to have a host as a host uh a local person because that already changes so much and they can share their network and that gives so many more points of where you can be integrated. Were there also specific obstacles with adapting to the culture? Not specifically in Mozambique, but I felt that in other trips to Africa before that it's very difficult to to leave the European African position aside. Because everybody thinks or knows that when you come from Europe, you just have a lot more money. Maybe it's less cultural and more thing of social injustice, but this makes it very difficult sometimes to truly make friendships or connect with people despite this gap. For example, when people ask me for money or or when they want a higher price or something, it's always I find it very difficult to to know what I should give because I don't want to create or sustain this these different positions, but at the same yeah. time, it doesn't seem fair not to give anything if you know you have it and they don't. Yeah. Any suggestion from the organization that you were there with? Um, well, generally, when I was with Mozambican friends and 
people on the street, for example, ask me for money, they always said, no, don't, don't, just don't. Um, I mean, now with the corona situation, it was a bit more difficult because it was actually about friends who were in difficult situations and not just daily struggles, but you have to sort of find compromises for yourself in what situations you want to react in what way. And in general, also the privileges you have as a European person. Sometimes it's difficult to yeah, deal with this because I am white and I don't want these privileges we have, but it's easy to say because I just have them. Yeah, it's just a very complex context when we go to Africa. It was a bit of a finding out what I can do and what I can't. For example, we did dance trainings. One dance teacher and me together, we went to to schools in the suburbs. He asked me to train the kids some swing with him. And there, for example, uh, I really didn't want to impose myself too much. I didn't want to change his way of doing things or even say something to the kids because I didn't want to find myself in that, hey, I'm coming here to teach you something and try to... Yeah, to make this a space where, for example, they can teach me how to do something or, yeah, I don't know, I just try to be rather on the quiet side and look first how they do things before I try to push through my way, but they didn't. Sometimes I was just too quiet and I'm like, hey, don't you want to say something? <laughs> 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 and I guess in some ways I still didn't manage to, yeah, not, not be the white ass <laughs> yeah it's, I find for example for with my own experience that it's not about removing your like yourself from the situation it's not like you want to erase the color of your skin but it's more about being aware of what your positionality is how you are perceived by others yeah. and then if you can try to find a way that doesn't make others uncomfortable it's a really important issue that we're all facing when we do development. Definitely. I really hope that at some point, when you have a lot of experience, uh, it goes a bit more naturally. But I think it's always really good to be aware of this fact. Can you tell us what Maputo looked like? What did the streets look like and the buildings? Yes, of course. Okay, Maputo is a really super beautiful city because it's it was a, a colony of Portugal. So and there are still a lot of really colonial looking buildings. I mean, history is sad, but buildings are beautiful. <laughs> and it's also really green. There are always trees in the middle of the street and just a lot of green space, which is really beautiful. And the center of the city is all in parallel streets. And it's on the beach, on the on the coast. So you have a whole coastline, which is so nice. You cannot swim there, but people often on the weekends just go to the beach to, they say, apanhar uma brisa, to get some air from the from the sea. And also from many parts of the city, you can spot through some old buildings, and then you see a little bit of the ocean. And this gives the whole city, I don't know, a really free touch but then of course most people live in the suburbs and I had friends from different suburbs and they all took me home to their places to 
to get to know their their part of Maputo. And I mean, Mozambique is a very economically very poor country. I'm sure many people have very hard lives, but from the general impression, it is just very beautiful. I would also like to ask you a few more questions on your research, uh, because we talked about the fact that you had a very positive experience with the networking, with the host organization being very available and helpful, which is already a huge obstacle, I think, for many students. Did you have some other moments of difficulty uh, while conducting research there, while meeting people that you would like to share? Yes. So the networking was really good in terms of personal connections. But then from the research point of view, it was much more difficult to, for example, find people who wanted to, to do an interview with me or who wanted really to spend time with me because they all had their job, right? They were there in the office to do their job and not to answer my questions. Only when I asked them to help me set up contacts that I could interview, it was better, but I had to push quite a bit. Um, one difficulty was when I called someone from another organization to set up an interview and I went there and he completely mistrusted me because I called him and no one from Formulier called him. So he couldn't know what I was going to do with the interview and everything. So that was a super big point of mistrust. I think this is a tip or something that maybe future students can do better is to try to communicate if possible, if they have such a network to make them set up the, the interview so that the other people around know my position or where I come from. It sounds like the topic was quite sensitive, right? In the local context then. Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's a politically sensitive topic, then I think it helps a lot if either another person calls from an organization they trust. They also told me that this would help that people in Mozambique do that a lot, set up letters to explain things or to ask for an interview, for example, or you explain everything and put the logo so that the person who is to be interviewed knows what it's about and has some sort of trust proof. It sounds like um, you were really aware of the of the sensitivity of the topic and why it was sensitive. And I think that's also really important, right, for students to understand that something that might not be sensitive in our Western context, but it's a completely different case in yeah, another country. Yeah. Definitely, that, that was what they told me, and I wasn't aware of that. There are like different organizations who contest this foreign investment. And I thought they're just protest groups and yeah, easy. Why should this be a problem? But then they told me, for example, that our coordinator, she had been threatened several times by the government and like seriously threatened and that people just disappear out of nothing because Whoa. opposition is also something very sensitive. And if you say something bad about a project which is foreign investment, but still it's linked to the government, then you're sort of against the government. And this is more dangerous than I thought it would be. Yeah, I can imagine. Regarding this point about doing research, do you have any other advice for future students? Well, I think in general, wherever you go, it's really, really, really important to try to understand your local context. And 
you can do that before by reading, but I also think that it's very important to, once you're there, to try to understand dynamics, for example, between men and women or how society works in a, in a whole, because I think every research question is to be answered differently in, in a different context because societies just don't work the same way. It helps to find out afterwards when you analyze your data what is relevant in this context and what isn't. Do you also have suggestions on how to reach organizations that are based in Mozambique, for example? Can you reach them by Facebook or by email? Have you found a pattern of uh, preference? Before I went there, I had only email contact and this was pretty difficult because, uh, <laughs> I don't know, answers just were a bit random and a bit not very regular. And once I was there, everybody does everything with their phone. So calling was the one thing to reach people, not emails, okay. calling. Or also uh, I was in the office and my coordinator, she was quite busy during the day. So she told me, yeah, I know we talked about this, but I will forget. So Tell me the same thing, but on WhatsApp again. Even if we were seeing each other, we were WhatsApping all the time to organize stuff. So I think, yeah, phone. So Elena, before you talked about the pandemic a little bit, and I just wanted to give a quick context on this. Our research started in the beginning of February. And uh, for the first month, I think everybody was quite all right with it because the virus was not spreading so much and so quickly. But uh, at the beginning of March, the university suggested us that we should go back to Europe. And uh, I think for everyone, it was a very difficult moment of decision because we didn't know what the options were and what the consequences of everything was. And most of the students actually ended up returning home. How did you experience the pandemic in the country while you were there? Um, actually, yeah, it was before this week where we got an email. I didn't feel anything about the pandemic in Mozambique. It was really crazy because I received news from Switzerland and from the Netherlands. And it wasn't so much in Africa, in the whole continent. It was, it took a long time to get there. And I actually never considered that it would become a really big problem there. I don't know. I just didn't didn't really think about that. And you could really not feel anything. In Mozambique, you have these local buses, which are called chapas, where you're squeezed in together with uh, 20 people and you have really loud music and you're just so surrounded by so many people and so close all the time that, I mean, social distancing would seem ridiculous. Well, actually, then when it all went super quickly, when we got an email from university, um, the next week also dance events were being cancelled and people started to lose their jobs. For example, I had one friend who was working in the tourism office and of course he had no more tourists suddenly. And that was when suddenly on the street you heard people talking about randomly hearing corona corona from all sides not specifically towards me but like you could feel that from one day to the other it became it became an issue where people started to talk about it and also a lot of people started to wear masks but not in a really mostly just around the neck or so but still you could uh, you could see the change 
it was difficult to know which country would react in what way. For example, Uganda locked down completely and I was afraid this would happen in, in Mozambique as well. But I think luckily we can say that they didn't really lock down so much. They just, yeah, they introduced some rules and they closed some events. But generally life goes on pretty normally. I actually remember calling you and we were uh, discussing what we should do with the situation. I don't know if you remember that because uh, I think the whole whole class was a bit panicking uh, about mm-hmm. like staying or going home. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you experienced making that decision for yourself? I remember the night before we received this email, I had two dates. <laughs> <laughs> I had been at the beach with someone and then with someone else I had a drink at night at a concert and then there was one boy on the street who was selling bracelets all the time and I had seen him in different in different events already so we knew each other and we were talking and he said hey come on don't you want to buy some bracelets uh, before you go home and I told him yeah I will be I will be going home in in two and a half months then I will then I will buy your bracelet <laughs> that same night I came home and I, and we got the email return immediately and I thought it was a joke and I really yeah really not thought that this would be possible and then I had to change the flight to Switzerland I wanted to it sounds a bit stupid because it was maybe a serious situation and everything was yeah the, the world was panicking but I wanted to stay as long as possible so I I changed my flight not exactly for the soonest date that was possible but for like five days later and this turned out to be really stressful because then every day new airports were closing and airlines were just shutting down my last night i was out in the suburbs with with some friends from dancing simple place but surrounded by sand and palm trees and we were having a lot of fun there when my mom called me and told me, uh, where are you? Your flight is cancelled. <laughs> and that was, I think, my biggest stress moment because I felt so stupid for playing with this. And then my mom managed to book, seriously, the last flight that was leaving the country. But then she changed it to like eight o'clock in the morning and I hadn't packed anything. My friends brought me home and... I, it was very stressful and then I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to leave the country and I had already plans to take a bus or a taxi or anything in case the flight was not going to South Africa to just make it out of Mozambique and then try to get from South Africa to Switzerland. Uh, yeah, so the last days were a bit stressful but then everything went well and coming home felt really weird. I was on a plane where the captain had his last flight ever So he felt like he needed to do a a special speech or something. He was so scary. He told us how we were coming to another world now, how we were leaving Africa and going to a Europe that looks like an apocalypse, how we're going to the world like we had never seen it before. Oh, that's so scary. Oh, man. He was so dramatic about it. Due to the pandemic, our study plan was quite interrupted, right? Um, did you manage to get enough data to be able to write the thesis? And how did you 
adapt in your research plan? Um, so actually, I told you that my main part of the research for the old research question was going to be on the countryside and that the first month in Maputo was more to get an overview and to also hear positions from involved organizations. But actually, in the beginning, this was more to, yeah, to understand who is involved and everything. So I had three serious, like long recorded interviews, all from civil society organizations. So I tried to adapt it according to what data I had. And I shifted my focus from the smallholder farmers on the countryside to civil society organizations. Yeah, so now I framed my topic in civil resistance because also a lot of these uh, organizations I interviewed, they are part of the contestation of this foreign investment. If you think back in the time in Mozambique, what was your favorite moment there? I have so many super nice flashbacks. I think the very first evening was a really, really, really nice one because I was so happy to be in Mozambique from really the first second. I just loved it so much. And the first evening, I remember going to uh, Pastelaria, which is just like a snack bar. And because it was the only vegetarian option, I had what you should never eat in Mozambique. Uh, <laughs> pizza with way too much cheese. And it was disgusting, but I was so happy about it. And just, I felt like the whole country was smiling at me because I was so happy to be there. <laughs> that was the really strong first moment, which made me really happy. And then um, I think... Another super, super nice moment where I actually clicked so much that it was in that moment that I considered staying was the first time when uh, one of my dance partners asked me to go to the suburbs to teach the kids with him. And we were in a school and there were just a bunch of kids and it was all so spontaneous like we were we wanted to train in the room but then the room was occupied so we just decided to put up the phone to have some music which was really not loud at all but yeah and we just danced outside and everyone was perfect and it was just yeah there was another boy playing the drums next to us and another man drying cow skin <laughs> It was just so many super beautiful impressions and I felt so much joy doing exactly what I loved there and that was that was really that was really strong. And also what was the thing that impressed you the most of the people in Maputo? Well, I think my surrounding was quite particular also through the network that I had from Forum Mulher and my my roommate who was a an artist and an activist. I was involved with a lot of super strong women who were yeah, super politically active, even though this means a lot of risk for them. So, I mean, I was definitely impressed by Mozambicans in general, but what I was most impressed with, I think, were these women, because most of them grew up somewhere on the countryside and they developed such a strong independent thinking and had such crazy ideas and just I, I imagine they must have been through quite a lot to 
to live their ideas, which are really different from what is maybe generally accepted, or I don't know, I just found it very, very, very powerful of the women activists in Mozambique to to stand up against men, against oppression, and wow. What do you bring back from Mozambique? Um, well, I think I really went to Mozambique with the spirit of I want to just do everything I can and want to not feel ashamed for any situation. And I really lived that, for example, when we were dancing, they had these jam circles, they call it, when everyone stands in a circle and one person has to go inside and dance and all the other people just watch. This is, for example, my nightmare. <laughs> and... I felt in such a safe and good environment that I did it there, which felt really empowering. And I think I brought a bit of this spirit back to Switzerland. And also when I arrived home, I still felt so filled with music and sun and and the warmth of the people. And I, yeah, I tried to keep that with me. And also... Um, Just the general way of of communication I found really beautiful in, in Mozambique, that you're just really communicative and speak to people no matter where and when. And always in such a warm way, I really liked that. And that that's also something that inspired me and that I wish was a bit more the case here. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was really beautiful. This brings us to the to the end of this episode. Uh, I think we both really enjoyed it. Uh, it almost felt like we were in Mozambique for a while. Thank you so much, Elena, for uh, sharing your stories with us. And you guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more stories and guests who have created a new life on the other side of the world. <laughs>